Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. We have a number of callers waiting now, but let's get to our top of the hour feature first before your calls. And Ton, uh, the top of the hour this time, you want to talk about black walnut trees. Yes, I saw an article in the St. George paper mm-hmm. that was published online also. I wasn't down there buying their paper. Unfortunately, I would love to be in St. George, but they had an article about how black walnut and other walnuts are, the term is allelopathic, and what that means is that they produce some sort of chemical that inhibits germination and growth of other plants. So it's phytotoxic. Mm-hmm. And I it's one of those things that you hear all the time, oh, black walnut leaves, don't use them because they're going to make your annuals do poorly or don't grow things under walnuts because they don't do well. But I've noticed that in a lot of situations, things seem to do quite well (laughs) under black walnut and they do just fine. All those gardening myths. So (laughs) I've done a little research and I listen to a podcast called In Defense of Plants, which is a gentleman that lives back east, but he interviews botanists, plant scientists, ecologists, and does deep dives on how plants fit into the world around us in the wild. And for somebody that is a, just a true plant nerd, it's a wonderful podcast. And so, but he's interviewing scientists, usually from either USDA or EPA or from universities. And these, this scientist talked about how the black walnut and other walnuts get a really bad name for being allelopathic and they probably are not. And so he pointed to some research back. Well, Pliny the elder was the first person to say, don't grow things under walnuts. And, but 
you've got to take that with a grain of salt because he also thought that when bears have babies, the mom uses her tongue and paws to mold a blob into a baby bear. So you've got to take, you know, the science wasn't really good then. And so it started there. But in the 1920s, a scientist or a person who was growing tomatoes around walnut trees saw that a number of his tomatoes were doing poorly and he dug them up and he said they were in direct contact with walnut roots and wrote an article about it. And so it's completely anecdotal and observational data. And it took off from there that walnut trees were allelopathic. And everyone's just jumped on this bandwagon from pretty much this one article. And it's been assumed that walnuts are. And so the government did some work in labs and isolated a chemical called juglone. And in lab situations at high enough concentration, absolutely did kill plants. Mm -hmm. And this juglone is mainly in the roots and things. And so when the people like, oh, there's your smoking gun. But that was done in artificial soil where they're... They, you can control an experiment a lot better in an artificial soil sure. than you can outside. So, at any rate, long story short, in the real world, there is almost zero evidence that these walnuts are actually allelopathic. Now, am I going to go say, oh, yeah, just mix your walnut leaves into your garden and grow away? Because there are observ- there's observational data saying that they might be, but we can't account for, you know, how do you know it just wasn't too much shade? Or how much do you know that you had didn't have too many leaves on the ground just making it so things wouldn't grow? But I, I guess the take home here is that you really need to do your research. And even extension services across the United States have propagated this and are guilty of it to where if you really get back to the data, USDA has suggested that this isn't true. They did a lot of work in the 1950s. And so I just wanted to put out there, you know, the show itself, we try to use scientific data to support what we're telling people to do. You know, you know, an extension service is trying to do that also. But it's just one of those things. It's one of those garden myths that is now almost universal. It's been perpetuated been for per- so yes, long. Yes, mm-hmm. that probably isn't true. And it's just one of those things I thought that was interesting. I don't know that I have anything other than that talking about this, but it's just one of those things that you need to be careful. And, you know, we, we start getting into all these chemicals. Oh, they're evil. Don't use them. But yet we'll put salt and vinegar all over in our garden. And you really need to get back to the data to see what it says, because a lot of times you really need to readjust how you think. Because up until 10 or 12 years ago, I had even assumed this until I started really looking into it. So, All right. Uh, we have some time before we take a break. You can find out more on Black Walnut Trees on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Let's take Ken's call before we take a break. Ken is enlightened. Good morning. Ken, what was your question? Good morning. I have two questions. Um, I have a lawn that's about 80, 85% morning glory and dandelions. I'd like to uh, um, get that back to good shape uh, so that it's grass instead of weeds. Can you share the steps that I should take to do that? Oh, let's see. We've got one suggestion from Dave, which was a flamethrower, which... I don't know that I would don't really recommend. Don't suggestions. listen to Dave. He's helping us with suggestions today. Um, 
So how quickly are you wanting to get your lawn back in order? Um, you know, it over the summer, okay. you know, in, in the fall, whatever. I'm just trying to help a neighbor get okay. it get it taken care of. And so the why did the lawn revert to this? That's the real key to know because if that's not fixed, you'll go in and put, you know, seed down and then it'll revert back within a year or two. And so we need to know why the lawn got like that in the first place. Well, I, I believe that it was just unmaintained. It started out with some morning glory and it just, it was no weed killer was ever put down or it wasn't just maintained is okay. my guess. So just I a mean, general lack of maintenance. Kill it already. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, what? Yeah, I put weed killers. Yeah, down, so just I don't know where to go. Yeah, as you're going into this process, make sure that the sprinkling system is working sufficiently so that you can irrigate. That would be the other thing I would do. But if you want the quickest way to do this effectively, I it's getting a little hot for a lot of lawn weed killers. But there's a company named Image, and they have a product called All in One Lawn Weed Killer. And it does a heck of a job against bindweed. It won't totally get rid of it, but it will really suppress it. But you need to read the label because I think there's a couple of month wait before you can reseed. But um, I would probably use something like that to kill the bindweed and the dandelions out. It'll take three or four weeks for it to really do the job anyway. And then I would just stay on top of things through the summer and then sometime mid to late August, I would prep it and you could even prep it through the summer, but I would reseed or resod in late summer so that you have a good two months to get that established, to get it through the winter. But the best time to do seed, especially is sometime mid to late August into early September, because the weed seeds are less likely to germinate than they are in the spring. So if I kill the weeds, do I need to rake them out or anything like that? They are going to need to be tilled in or removed, and you're going to need to remove the old turf and probably with a tiller, which is a lot of hard work, and then re-level the soil if you want to be successful. And then just start over with seed or sod. I mean, you're going to have to tear it down to soil for it to really reestablish. Now, you could mow it and maybe use this image all in one lawn weed killer and see how much lawn is actually there. And if you have maybe 40 or 50% of the lawn kind of still intact, it may fill in. Okay. With regular irrigation and fertilizer. But the image product won't kill the lawn. So. Okay. Second question is, um, where, where's, where do you go to get your soil tested? I've heard you talk about that before. Uh, USU will do it. Um, you go to the, just the web address, wordusual.usu.edu. And you want what's what was that first part again? Usual. 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 Yep. Usual.usu.edu. Okay. And that just stands for USU Analytical Laboratory. So usual.usu.edu, and you want the routine test. Okay. All right, great. Thank you. All right, Ken. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for your call this morning. We need to take a break. When we come back, Jared, Bonnie, you are up next. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. 
two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning, taking your calls and questions. Ton, next listener says they want to know how to get rid of goat head weeds all over their yard. Well, move. I, I'm Ton, Ton. The weeds are there because it has they have opportunity to grow. There's open ground. They're already in the soil. And so in the if they're in the lawn, thicken your lawn up, you know, fertilize, reseed it, find out what's going on. Now, I have seen a couple of different companies are making a product. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to I'll have to look at it during the break, but it looks like you it's a contraption that looks like it has a lawnmower you like a push mower mm-hmm. but then you roll it on the ground and it has a fabric uh it's almost like one of those old fashioned hand uh dryers where you pull it and it's a circular fabric and you just keep pulling it and then it winds itself back up anyway it's almost like a tank tread i guess and what it does is it the goat head, the the stickers, the seeds stick to it, sure. and you as you push it, it has a brush or a piece of metal that takes and knocks the seeds off into a little hopper or a basket on the back of it. Okay. And there's a company I think out of Oklahoma or Texas making this thing, and. I don't know how well it works, but I've been starting to see some buzz online about hmm. it that you push this thing. And it's basically a, almost like a fabric tank tread that the sticker stick to and then they're brushed off and you just pull this little basket out and throw them away. And I'll look up online and see if I can find the company. They have, they've said on their, I looked at their website briefly and they have to find one of their distributors, but there's two different companies making these things. And you know, if you've got bare ground and you have puncture vine stickers everywhere, That'd why be the not? Way to go, right? Yeah. And so I don't know the cost. I looked on Amazon and they weren't on Amazon, but I did see these out Unique. there. And it's the first time I've ever seen anything to clean those seeds up off the soil surface. So what about those folks who maybe don't have the luxury of getting that? All they can really do is plant something, a ground cover, you know, even if it were temporary, something like triticale or... A smother amount? Smother, you know, it'll just prevent them from germinating. The seeds will last up to 40 or 50 years in the soil. Oh my gosh. But the... Without one of those, and I think that you would still have them come back because you can only get the ones on the surface, 
But growing something there or covering the area is about the only thing I know to do. All righty. Jared is on the line in South Jordan. Good morning, Jared. What was your question? Yeah, hi. Um, I have some green grapes, little mini ones. Um, and the last two years, I mean, they start out with nice little balls of, you know, grapes, thinking I'm going to get a lot of grapes. And then about this time of year, all of a sudden, they just, they just disintegrate and just mm-hmm. turn to, they just disappear. You know, they just dry up, it looks like. And this year, I had a lot of them, and I, I don't know if, well, you could tell me if it's fertilizer, not enough water. Well, there could be, is it every grape doing it? The whole vine, I mean, the whole vine. And it's just one nice vine, and I've got it spread to those both directions. So it's and one plant. One plant, and it just, it's just, it, it's like it, it aborts them almost, is a, or a way you would say it. It, it doesn't, uh, they, they come out when they're nice, and they get, you know, to other little balls, and then they just... They just flake away. They just disappear. So have you been seeing any sorts of bugs on the plant? No, they look really, really good. Okay. So if every grape is doing that, it's usually something environmental that would be causing it instead of a disease, I suspect. Uh, How often are you watering the grape? Um, They're on a dripper system, and it goes every day. And how are the drip emitters spaced? Uh, I have one on each side of the vine. Okay, like just a single vine, and I've got, I've got, uh, you know. And then this year's been so wet. I really have been. Yeah, so you even. probably haven't needed to really water too much. Um, and then those emitters. Yeah, one thing I will say: how wide is the grape plant right now? How wide? It yes. probably stretches. I don't know, ten feet in each direction. Okay, you're probably going to want to change the irrigation up to where you have emitters going out from the middle of the plant because the roots don't just stay right where the trunk is of the grape. And so that how, how I've got how I've got it is it's two um, they they're they hang upside down and then those those little sprayers. Yeah, but are they know, they're they they're fairly they, adjacent they, they, to the trunk though? Yeah, they're they're within a, a foot or two of the trunk on both sides. Yeah, you may need to spread the irrigation out a little bit more. Maybe add a couple of more emitters at least to see if, just to eliminate irrigation. And then I would not be watering it every day. You know, those okay. grapes will probably you'll probably want to water twice a week, maybe even once a week, depending on your soil. You know, if it's a heavier clay, you could probably get away with it's pretty once a week. Cla- it's pretty clayish. So. Spread the irrigation out, water a little, I wouldn't say less, but you're wanting that water to penetrate into the soil, ideally at least a foot. And so, you know, those are things you can eliminate. What I'm going to have you do is email our grape specialist, Michael Karen. Um, His email is just the word Michael, spelled normally, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot C-A-R-O-N. So C-A-R-O-N at U-S-U dot E-D-U and send some pictures to him and describe what's happening. If anybody in the state will know why the grapes are just kind of falling off the vine, I do think it's environmental. Mike will be able to help you. So Michael dot Karen. They're not like letting go. They just basically turn to dust. Yeah. And so Michael know specifically a lot more things to ask and things. But if everyone's doing it, it's probably environmental. 
So okay. All right, Jared. We need to break for the bottom okay, of the you. hour news. Thanks for your call. Number to call eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. Text us five seven five zero zero. Let's dig around town with KSL Greenhouse. The USU Botanical Center is inviting all garden members to celebrate summer solstice with a garden tea party to be held in the Pollinator Garden on Wednesday, June 21st from 6 to 8 p.m. Sign up or become a member at extension.usu.edu. Learn to flip your strip with Weber Basin Water on Thursday, June 29th. The class is intended for those who want to take part in the Utah Water Savers Program. Register at weberbasin.com. Join the Conservation Garden Park for a Waterwise Tree and Shrub Tour on Saturday, July 8th from 9 to 11. Registration is required. Learn more at conservationgardenpark.org. Now we'll look at this week's quick tip. Oriental poppies are late spring blooming stars of any garden. Flower colors are vibrant hues of red, orange, pink, and even purple. These resilient perennials thrive in sunny locations under super low maintenance, making them a great choice for busy gardeners. They require minimal watering once established and can adapt to a variety of soil types. What's more, they attract pollinators like bees and butterflies, contributing to a healthy ecosystem. Oriental poppies are perennial, meaning they come back year after year, making them a great low-maintenance choice for perennial gardens in almost all of Utah. You can also find the Dig Around Town calendar and more fun gardening info at kslnewsradio.com slash greenhouse. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.